Hi everyone, this is part one of our show with Stephen, which, as you can tell, was really enjoyable, but we went a little long. So instead of removing anything, we've broken it down into two parts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can spread Bitcoin education to other people like yourself. BitcoinProsperityPodcast.com The reason why I got interested in Bitcoin is for a store of value. Um, it was really because of the peer-to-peer cashless electronic delivery of, 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 you know, and, you know, buying of, of goods. Right. So that's what I really believe in. And, and, and that's where I think the best use case of, of Bitcoin is. Welcome to the Bitcoin prosperity podcast with your host, Gordon, that's me and Ferris from coincompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our full disclaimer. Visit BitcoinProsperityPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Welcome everyone to another Bitcoin Basics podcast, a very special episode. I think, Faris, we're up to episode number 44, so um, let's get ready for that 50th. Uh, Today's block height, proof of recording, according to Blockstream, is 625,040. And the current price of Bitcoin at 9th of April is 7,363, according to Bitstamp. We have a special guest today, but before we get to that, Faris, I'm still in, uh, what, level three lockdown at the beach? What's uh, happening in your neck of the woods? So I'm still in uh, level four lockdown in New Zealand, which I'm very grateful for. I've got about 200 acres of uh, land behind me that I can play on, so... uh, and my next door neighbors have a dam where we've been kayaking on. So I've got it pretty sweet compared to the rest of the world. And yeah, our very special guest today, we've got Stephen McClure. He's a CIO of Exponential. And um, Stephen, thank you for joining us all the way from, I presume, sunny California. That's right. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, so we're going to launch into a whole lot of different things. Stephen's got a very um, interesting and fascinating black background, recently involved in... Um, blockchain startups, and formerly a bond trader. So uh, we're going to be looking not just at Bitcoin today, but Bitcoin's role in the current economic backdrop. So Stephen, I've got a lot of questions for you. So at some point, you're just going to have to tell me to shut up or just end this meeting and leave because I don't think I'll ever stop uh, asking asking you what, what I'm interested in because, yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, but yeah, one of the things I do want to talk about is uh, you wrote an article recently, which we'll link to, um, entitled This Time is Different, which many people will be familiar with as the uh, uh, Reinhardt um, book, where nothing is ever really different. But um, when QE first came out, a lot of people presumed it would lead to inflation, just the incessant printing, lack of a better word, printing of money would lead to inflation. And we didn't see that. We saw deflation in cash, but inflation in products. So what's your take on the current environment, QE infinity? And are we ever going to see inflation? Yeah, uh, well, you know, thanks for the question. Um, One of the things that uh, I was looking at 10 years ago, when uh, we were doing all types of, of, of government programs here in the US with three and four letter acronyms, um, including QE one, two and three, uh, was when is inflation going to set in? Because um, most economists uh, argue that anytime that there's um, money printing, uh, inflation will in- ensue uh, shortly after. Uh, Keynes was really the only person who 
uh, had some caveats to that. You know, Keynes did say that, uh, you know, inflation isn't always a monetary phenomenon. Uh, and, uh, and, and his theories were that, uh, you know, creating, creating more money, creating more fiat money would eventually lead to inflation, but it was also, um, a subject to very long periods of time. Um, but inflation is also a, a construct of price and price, of course, as we know, is, uh, is, is a construct of supply and demand. Uh, so what happened in 2009, when there was all the money printing then, was that um, people never really had increase in wages. So even though unemployment went to very low levels, uh, wages never went up. So discretionary spending and discretionary income um, always stayed pretty flat. So there was really never a demand side of the supply-demand curve. Uh, at the same time, the government was printing money and supplying low interest rates. And, and of course, banks and, and investors were supplying cheap capital to corporations who had goods that they needed to sell in order to uh, pay their debt service. So interest is cheap. Companies that should have gone out of business didn't go out of business. And they just kept producing, 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 producing goods that people probably didn't want, but they were at such low levels that people bought them anyway. So it drove supply up, demand stayed flat, and goods and services actually decreased in cost in a lot of, in a lot of areas. So we never really saw the inflation that we expected to see with uh, those monetary policies. Uh, today, we uh, will probably experience a very similar environment. Um, um, despite the fact that uh, there is cheap capital, uh, interest rates are negative globally. So people are actually paying for the right to hold bonds, uh, which, is, which is quite an interesting phenomenon that's been happening for years now, particularly in Europe. Um, and uh, a lot of these zombie companies um, simply aren't going away, um, although there will be some that will because of COVID-19. Uh, so what we should expect to see is is continued wage stagflation, <laughs> and uh, we should um, continue to see products and prices going lower, including things like oil. So I don't know if we'll see inflation in, in a lot of the goods and services that people are thinking of. So yeah, and uh, just for our listeners, if you're not familiar with what a zombie company is, that's a company that basically is... Um, simply staying alive by accruing more debt and not through profits. And I read recently that, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was more than 50% of companies in the Russell 2000 were zombie companies. And that was before the outbreak of COVID-19. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Sears, Toys R Us. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you look around, even, even retailers like Nordstrom, uh, here, here in the U.S., uh, some of these may not be global brands, but, uh, but, but Nordstrom, Macy's, um, you know, these are, these are, you know, companies that are going to have issues uh, when especially right now people are realizing that you can buy pretty much anything on Amazon and Amazon, Amazon can also replicate uh, any goods that uh, can be, can be, that are created in, in other you know, and other companies. So uh, we'll, we'll see how long some of those places last, uh, some of those, you know, brick and mortar retail. So COVID-19, do you think it, it is a black swan event or was it really just a spark that lit this giant bonfire created by QInfinity and the uh, G8 central banks? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I really see it as a white swan event. Um, most, I'm not going to say most, many economists and, 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 and professional investors uh, have been seeing this coming for the last two years, possibly even three years. Um, you know, I know I started writing about it about two years ago that, uh, you know, debt has gotten to ridiculous levels uh, for companies issuing high yield bonds, particularly, uh, you know, the, the zombie companies we were talking about earlier, where the risk for the interest rate that you're, that you're, that you're, that you're getting or the coupon that you're getting for buying some of these companies were so low, you know, in, in many cases, five, five and a half percent is what you're getting paid to hold a company that could default that, that that's barely making its uh, debt service. So, um, you know, and this was two years ago, um, you know, so, so, so a lot of us saw this coming and have really been anticipating it. Um, yes, the S&P here in the U.S. Uh, has gotten to levels that are, that are unsustainable. And really, I would say October, November of, of, of last year, 2019 is, is, is probably when it, when it, when it, when it looked like it was going to peak. Now, bought, you know, bull markets by definition is, are, are, are people that are buying expensive assets hoping that somebody else will buy them for a more expensive price, right? So, so these, these bull markets can actually last longer than the price is justified. Uh, COVID-19, like you said, is sim- was simply a spark that, uh, that, that, that caused people to look at the markets. Um, now, unfortunately, uh, it's also caused a lot of, a lot of you know, personal and, and bodily harm and damage to a lot of people and deaths. Uh, but, uh, but, but, it, but it's changed the way that, 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 that humans are going to behave for, for, for months, if not years, or, or maybe an entire generation, which could lead to potential problems in a lot of sectors that, that weren't experiencing problems six months ago. Uh, so, so that's really, you know, that's the, really the other shoe that I expect to fall over the next month or two uh, that could cause markets to go down further. Yeah, so one thing I, yeah, I want your opinion on here is that um... – so with the housing crisis 2008, there was a lot of things happening in a dark room, as um, uh, Michael Smith put it in his uh, fascinating book, Boomerang, um, you know, how basically people treated money in a dark room. And I think what we're going to see now is just the unraveling of these central bank policies where they were unaccountable, unelected officials. And there, there has been some talks amongst academics that we could see a debt jubilee for countries like Japan. Um, where they somehow wipe out their own debt. Um, now, in your opinion, what would that mean for assets like gold and Bitcoin, if that's something that governments start talking about? Yeah, you know, that's, that's actually, that's a, that's a really hard question to answer <laughs> because, um, you know, the last time, or, or really, you know, the first time in my career that I saw, um, you know, bending of the rule of law here in the U S was when, uh, there were the bankruptcies of, of Chrysler and GM. And, and if you remember when that happened back in 2009, um, I want to say it was February of 2009, what the government did was allowed the unions and, 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 and labor to, uh, to, to actually be more senior than, uh, the bondholders in, in, in many respects. So, uh, so, so, so that bit was, was, was actually quite difficult, um, you know, for the, you know, for the, for the bonds of those companies, for instance, now auto showroom paper, anything that was securitized through an SPV actually did quite well, 
but but that was that was that was unique, and and what that foreshadowed was this could happen again. You know, rule of law could actually be bent or or or, or changed in favor of um, you know people that are that are, that are going to be casting votes in, in, in a coming election, so to speak. So I, I don't I don't think it's that far out of the question uh, for um, for there to be a debt holiday in in many countries. Um, um, what does that mean for gold and Bitcoin? Um, you know that's that, that that that's difficult. I think gold is 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 historically been a you know safe haven asset for many people, and um, and and it has the potential of 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 going up. Bitcoin uh, is a strange beast because it's a it is a store of value for 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 people. I wouldn't say many people, uh, a small contingent of people uh, that, that that believe that uh, it has the potential of, of of becoming either a global currency or global store of value, um, much like gold does. So um, and there's still a lot of interest in it, you know, because of, of, of the way that you can actually transfer it quickly, relatively safe. Um, um, so, you know, I, I can't really say that I think Bitcoin will go up in value because since 2017, it's been treated like a risk asset by many people. It's, it's, it's become a speculative asset. So uh, anytime that there's a risk off trade, I believe, you know, Bitcoin's going to suffer. And anytime there's risk on it, it it'll, 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 it'll probably do quite well. Um, but uh, but I do think there's a chance that uh, that, that, that it, it, it could become a bit of a flight to safety like gold does. Yeah, it's uh, encouraging actually to hear you say that because we had this conversation with Leah and Tyler and um, we said 2019, Bitcoin was heavily correlated to the price of gold. That broke in 2020 and Bitcoin's been correlated to the trend of the S&P 500. And Gordon and I basically launched this business because we had people coming to us 2017 saying, how do I buy Bitcoin? And we, you know, we're ex- experienced educators and we wanted to teach people about Bitcoin. And they're like, no, no, I don't want to know about it. I just want to buy in. And so absolutely, it was just people not knowing what it was and just jumping on that FOMO. Um, but yet now we're starting to see on Wall Street some people who were very much anti-Bitcoin. I um, don't know if you're familiar with Jared Dillian, uh, Daily Dirt Nap, Keith McCulloch at Hedgeye. They were very anti-Bitcoin and now they've changed their tune to saying, okay, we understand this thing as a store of value. Do you think we're starting to see um, the adoption by Wall Street as to actually want to get in, in Bitcoin? Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see, I, 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 I see a handful of people, but I, I don't see mass adoption uh, as, a, as a store of value. Um, you know, like, 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 like you said, it's, it's, it's sort of a telltale sign when in 2017, people just want to, they just want to buy in and make a quick buck and, 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 and don't really want to learn about what it is. So that that does create a bit of a problem where you you're, you're bringing in a ton of speculators and and what I, but what I do see on Wall Street is people that want to speculate in it, which is you know in 2018 when we had the options market that was uh, that was created uh, that, that that ultimately led for, to to people shorting it uh, uh, all the way down to about 3,600. Um, so so I, I think in order for it to really become a to become a store of value or or or, or what 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 the reason why I got interested in Bitcoin is for a store of value, um, it was really because 
of the peer-to-peer cashless electronic delivery of 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 you know and you know buying of, of goods, right? So that's what I really believe in, and 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 that's where I think the best use case of, of Bitcoin is. Uh, the, the store of value argument kind of really came into play also in, in towards the end of 2017 as people were marketing it. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it became a marketing tool, and but of course, you know, any store of value is a store of value because people believe it is. Yeah. Uh, and because enough people believe it is, it has become a store of value for some people. But, but yeah, back, back to the point on speculation, I, I, I think there's a lot of speculation in it right now. And, and, and in 2018, a lot of that, you know, we were hoping a lot of that speculation would go out so that it would actually, you know, could be used for what it was intended to, which is, you know, peer to peer electronic cash. Do you want to learn how to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins? Coincompass.com is running a free two-hour webinar on Sunday, 31st of May. To register and for more details, visit coincompass.com forward slash webinar. Obviously, um, at the moment, Bitcoin's like a speculative store of value, but uh, to a non-investor like myself, something like a Bitcoin ETF, to me, actually doesn't really make a lot of sense. Does it make sense to you? A Bitcoin ETF? Yeah. Oh, no, it doesn't make any sense at all um, right. for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, in, in, in my career, I actually watched a ton of ETFs, um, you know, since about 2009, I believe. Um, and just to put it into perspective, you know, when, 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 when I think about regulators in the U.S., whether or not they would accept something like a Bitcoin ETF, when, when, when the filing started coming through, I, I thought that it would never happen, right? I, I didn't think they would ever accept it because, you know, really what, what ETFs are meant to do is, is be a diverse, a, an instrument for a diversified set of, of, of investments, number one. And number two, um, there's, there's really stringent rules around ETFs and uh, particularly around level one, two, and three assets, which is, you know, from an accounting perspective it, it, it pertains to you know liquidity um and, and 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 to really put it into perspective uh you know i always spent a lot of time trying to launch a investment grade credit etf um that was actively managed and it took five years for the sec to approve it and this is investment grade you know average credit rating of double a so um you know just 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 given what bitcoin is i i, I really don't see it something that's, that's going to be favorable, you know, by, by, by regulars in the U S second of all, back to the, you know, Satoshi white paper and what Bitcoin is, it's, it's supposed to be a peer to peer electronic cash instrument so that I can send money around the world and receive goods and services at any time quickly and secure. And, and if you're putting that into an ETF, all it does, it, 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 it promotes less of the peer to peer cash, use case and more of the speculative use case and it, and it, and it, and it, and it strays away from really what the thing that it's supposed to be. Yeah. On that point, Gordon, um, and Steven, so we've heard that, I know I've read a couple of arguments where they say because the derivative markets for gold is so big, it eclipses the actual physical gold that it's the tail that's wagging a dog. So, you know, the argument goes that it's, you know, the, paper gold market that is actually suppressing the price of physical gold. Um, what's your opinion on that? And is that a concern that if eventually at some point in the future, we do get Bitcoin ETFs and we do get the digital, not digitization, the um, leveraging of Bitcoin? Yeah. 
Well, you know, it's it. Gold has been a really tough asset since Bretton Woods too, and the reason being is 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 nobody's really tied to it anymore. Um, although I will say, in the last twenty years, um, many many countries have used it as a diversifier um, to their to their own treasury. Um, you know, if you know, countries have been forced since Bretton Woods too to to, to buy U.S. bonds in order to stabilize their own currencies. Um, and, and going even further back in time to, to, to the original Bretton Woods, when, um, when dollar became the reserve currency of the world and was tied to, 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 to gold at basically you know, $35. Um, but Bretton Woods, too, eliminated that gold standard, and, 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 and the U.S. dollar was essentially just the reserve currency of the world. So... So yeah, it, it 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 created a situation where U.S. can just issue bonds unlimitlessly, and countries have to buy them in order to maintain their currency. And of course, the reason why they want to maintain their currency is so that uh, they're competitive in their own manufacturing and exports. Um, so, um, given that situation, gold 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 has kind of taken a backseat since Bretton Woods too. But like I said, um, you know foreign currency reserves of, of countries, um, particularly places like Russia, uh, have, have bought, you know, massive amounts of gold uh, to hedge themselves and, 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 and even try to get away from uh, uh, buying dollars and bonds uh, to, to support their currencies, supporting with gold instead. So, so, so that's been the major use case. Back to paper gold versus physical gold. Um, of course, physical gold doesn't move around a whole lot. It's too expensive. It, it costs a lot of money to store. Um, but 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 gold itself has become a pretty speculative instrument, and 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 it, and it did become pretty speculative leading up to the financial crisis. Uh, all asset prices were going up. People were speculating on on real estate, um, and then and then and then of course, right after the last financial crisis. Um, you know, people were heavily speculating on gold. So what, what was interesting here in the U.S. is, you know, for about four years, you know, 2005 up to 2009, uh, there was a mortgage lender on every corner. There was as many of those as there were Starbucks, right? After 2009, there was stores that said, we buy gold on, on every corner. So you could see the you know the potential speculative run up in uh, people buying physical gold as and, and in paper gold as fast as they can because thinking that inflation would ensue, which which never did. So so yeah, it was it was highly speculative. One thing that's actually interesting, I'm in uh, Southeast Asia at the moment. Um, yeah, there's there's been several articles over the last three four days. Um, I'm not sure about um, you know bullion, but at least at gold stores, they're completely out of gold. There, you basically can't buy anything from a piece of jewelry to even a couple of coins. There's videos of stores that are completely wiped out. There's no, there's no gold. So people, you know, the every everyday person on the street is basically cleaning out all these stores of gold. So I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's also very similar to the oil market, right? You know, um, there's there's a lot of paper oil out there, and there's a lot of speculators on it, uh, but but nobody's taking physical delivery of, of oil, right? And uh, which is a whole other subject we could get into if we wanted to. Yeah, actually, one thing we brought up off camera, which um, is soft commodities, because I know that the with the majority of commodities, especially your grains, uh, they're at record supply. And record supply is just meeting demand. 
but the prices are even lower than the 1990s. And that's not even taking into account inflation. So what in the world is leading to such cheap grain prices? You said such cheap grain prices? Yeah, so I know like wheat, corn, I mean, I haven't looked at charts since COVID-19, but I know prices were incredibly low leading into beginning of 2020 Yeah, for, for most soft commodities. So, uh, so that's actually that's actually a really good point, um, and, and and the reason why I, I I step back and question is because those prices are starting to go up um, due to COVID nineteen. A lot of places like Kazakhstan, for instance, are shutting their borders to exports of of, of wheat, and Kazakhstan, for instance, is um, I believe it's the tenth largest exporter of wheat in the world and uh, the largest exporter of wheat in Asia. So uh, it's, 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 it's quite interesting what could possibly happen if countries continue to shut their borders, and, and they are doing it. They're shutting their borders to exports, thinking that you know, we need to make sure that we have enough supply for ourselves. The other interesting thing that's happening is here in the U.S., and this is going to happen in probably a lot of other countries as well, particularly in Eastern Europe, which also is a, is a big exporter of wheat, places like uh, Hungary, for instance, um, is a lot of countries like the U.S. rely on overseas labor, seasonal labor to come into the country and harvest, whether it's fruits, vegetables, or, or grains. Mm-hmm. And with borders being closed, um, you're going to run into problems where a lot of the, um, the, the food products are simply going to, you know, rot on the branches, so to speak. Uh, this has already been a problem in California, really for the last ten years. Um, there's, there's, there's been a lot more border controls uh, between, you know, the U.S. and Mexico, for instance, uh, and, um, and 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 a lot of the, a lot of foods. Uh, there weren't enough labor to uh, to to, um, you know, for all the foods that are available now. We haven't had much drought. Um, you know, we had a couple of years of drought, but uh, uh, so so there's always been an abundance. But but right now, uh, that's that, that that really is something to worry about. Um, it's also true, say in Eastern Europe, for instance, uh, there's a lot of migrant uh, Romanian workers that go to Hungary uh, seasonally to harvest wheat and, and and food there as well. So we'll probably see you know not not just in the U.S. but 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 everywhere. Um, you know, um, a shortage of, of, of food and, and, and potentially a, a big blockage to the uh, food supply chain. It's funny you mentioned that because just yesterday on the radio here in New Zealand, I heard that because um, fruit pickers here in New Zealand, 50% of them tend to come from overseas, whereas the latest um, results show it's 95% are now New Zealanders picking the fruits. Wow, that's, that's, that's absolutely amazing. But this was also a problem in the 19th, late 20s, early 30s in America, wasn't it? You actually had people starving, but crops rotting in fields because the farmers couldn't pay anyone to pick them. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. But, but we also had, but at the same time, there were also areas of the country that were, um, that were suffering from drought, right? So, so a lot of the plains areas in the U.S. were suffering from drought, which, you know, historically that was the breadbasket of the world at the time, you know, in the twenties and thirties. Uh, so, uh, that's when there was the giant move to California 
and people were moving to California to uh, to to work on the farms and fields. But but you're absolutely right. Uh, in the areas that were producing, they they couldn't pay the people to come do it. And the places that weren't producing were you know people were simply starving. Just last point on that, uh, Stephen. Here in Southeast Asia, in my undisclosed location. They've actually stopped uh, exporting of uh, rice. And I'm living in a country that's the world's second largest export of rice. This seems like an, a massive problem. Are we seeing just, say, a short-term protectionism, let's protect our food supply, or do you think this is going to have a long-term knock-on effect? Yeah, g- generally these, these issues have, have very long-term effects. And this is actually something that, that, that I'm concerned about here. It's not just for the food supply, um, you know, even in the U.S., uh, there's there's been a lot of xenophobia, um, particularly with uh, with with COVID nineteen originating in China, and 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 I've seen that globally as well. So not only are people preventing other people from coming from other countries, but they don't really want to support their neighbors, so to speak. They want to make sure that they have enough for themselves. Um, but, but, but other attitudes that, that, that we really need to look, look out for is, you know, when I was talking about, you know, zombie companies earlier and, and, and some types of industries that are going to suffer that, that, that didn't fall into that category, uh, hospitality, um, travel, um, you know, when travel restrictions are lifted and, um, and quarantines are lifted, Three months from now, do you really think people are going to be flocking to airports or to get on cruise ships or waiting in line to eat at a good restaurant or even congregating in a busy restaurant? I, I, I really don't think that that is going to happen. I think, I think human behavior has changed just in the last month and is going to continue to change. And it'll take a long time for those, those, those habits to change back to what we consider normal of, of what we were looking at three months ago. So, so there's going to be a lot more economic, you know, uh, uh, problems for, you know, for food service and uh, travel and uh, hospitality going forward. Not to mention the, what, 12 plus percent unemployment. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, you know, I, I can speak to the U.S., but, you know, in the U.S., 12 plus percent un- unemployment, I'm, I'm estimating it's somewhere between 12 and 15. And we'll, we're going to probably know better tomorrow. Uh, and even whatever number we get tomorrow, it's probably going to be higher than that because here in the U S not everyone immediately applies for unemployment insurance when they're able to. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's usually a lagging indicator. Um, so when people do finally apply to go on unemployment, uh, two things happen, right? Number one is when you're getting money and you're not having to work, you typically don't work for a long period of time, whether you can or you can't, you know, I mean, there's, there's some people that just want to get back to work and, 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 and that's true, but there's other people that will take their time. The second problem is, and it's particular to COVID-19 is if you're getting paid unemployment insurance and you're fearful for your life and you're fearful for the life of your family members are you really going to take a job that pays you a little bit more than what you're making in unemployment insurance right away and put yourself in harm's risk? I, I don't think many people are going to do that. I think it, I think people will, for the most part, in this particular situation, go as long as they can 
without having to put themselves in harm's way if they believe that that's, you know, that, that that's the case. Faris, do you have a question? Because I'm going to go down a rabbit hole of uh, the uh, Fedcoin digital dollar in a second. I'll just make one comment and I'll throw it to you, Gordon. But yeah, you just mentioned um, people's habits will change. And just this morning, I was talking to a colleague who her husband has been working from home and his boss has found that his whole team is far more productive. And he's thinking, well, even if the isolation is lifted, we might just stick to working from home. And there's a whole economy that can be affected by that. You know, you're not buying petrol. You're not paying for parking. You're not getting your coffee next door. There's a whole um, knock-on effect from people simply not leaving the house and going into town. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm a bit of a natural introvert anyway. And working from home for me has actually, you know, or being forced to work at home, um, I'm, I'm, I've been a lot more productive because I can't separate myself from, from, from actually home life. You know, it's not like I can go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in Southern California and they've closed the beaches and the, and the trails. I typically go surfing two or three times a week. Uh, I go mountain biking. I go, I go, I go hiking or, 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 or running. And all of those things have been eliminated for me. So I just wake up in the morning and check my phone when I first wake up and I work for about 14 hours and then I might eat dinner and might shower and then go, go to bed. So that's, those are, you know, so there's a lot of people like me out there that'll, that'll, that'll probably, you know, continue to, 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 to work from home, be more productive and probably be too productive, um, you know, in, in, a, in an unhealthy way. Uh, you can see me and Gordon smiling along with you here. <laughs> I've been social distancing for the last 40 years. It doesn't affect me. It's exactly the same. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, I, I, I have a, I have a, I have a really good friend and, and colleague from many years um, when I was at when I was at Guggenheim, and we would always joke around that we were the only two people that we knew that didn't like to shake hands and and didn't like to to, to stay within five feet of each other. Now now we have to stay six feet with, from each other. So when we saw each other, we would just kind of always look at each other and bow and not shake hands. We're like, oh, thank God, somebody else like me. Uh, now 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 everybody's become like me. And that's the end of part one. This will continue in part two. Go to bitcoinprosperitypodcast.com where you'll find links to subscribe to our various podcast platforms and YouTube channel. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.